morning to you, everyone. It's great to see you today. If you have a Bible with you or a device, you can go to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. It's uh, good to see you on this Lord's Day. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question as you're going to Philippians chapter 1 in your Bibles. And the question is this, what is it, what is it that fills your heart with great joy? Is there something in your life that causes your heart to just be flooded with a deep sense of satisfaction and gladness in God? Well, I hope so, because joy is a wonderful thing. Wouldn't you agree? It's a wonderful thing. The Bible tells us that joy comes from who? From God. That's right, that it's a gift of God given to those who belong to Him. In fact, the Bible describes joy as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, a fruit of God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who indwells all true believers. It's an internal sense of of fullness, of satisfaction, even exhilaration of the Spirit that's produced in the heart of a Christian who allows the Holy Spirit to be in control. You know, Jesus said often that he wants his people to experience his joy. In John 15, he said this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So that tells me that Jesus is a joyful person. And maybe you have a a mental image of Jesus in your mind and he's always got this stern look on his face. But I want you to know that Jesus was full of joy. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brothers. So he was the most joyful guy in the room, no matter what room he was in. Joy. Let's understand that having the joy of Jesus is not dependent upon our circumstances, right? When the Bible speaks of the joy of God, it's speaking of an inner spiritual pleasure that remains unaffected by the situations that we find ourselves in. And so in that sense, it's it's very different from happiness. Happiness, we know, is dependent upon happenings, but joy is dependent upon Jesus. And so as we study the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians opening up this new year, the Apostle Paul, who wrote that letter, tells us that he was actually in prison when he wrote it, and yet despite being in a situation where his freedom was restricted and his ministry was confined, somehow Paul is still able to exude joy. And so I think we could probably learn from him, don't you? We're going to let Paul today tutor us in the joy of the Lord. And particularly, we're going to explore one avenue through which Christ desires to pour his joy into our hearts, one pipeline of joy through which the gladness of God flows, okay? Let me give you a little background again in case you weren't here last week. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the letter to the Philippians from prison, and he was kind of used to being in prison. He'd been in prison many times, But this time, he was in the city of Rome, and his crime was not arson and it was not burglary. His crime was disturbing the peace by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that message that we love, that Jesus of Nazareth is the true king of the world who came to suffer for the sins of his people. And so preaching that message in the Roman Empire at that time was frowned upon because the Roman emperor Caesar believed that he was the true king of the world, and he was not tolerating any rivals. And so Paul got arrested. Apparently, it was more of a house arrest, because evidently he could have visitors, he could receive gifts, 
but he wasn't allowed to move from place to place as he was accustomed to doing to carry out his ministry. So how did he use his time there in prison? Well, one of the things he did is he wrote letters, which were then delivered by courier to the recipients. And so the book of Philippians is one of those letters that we call prison epistles. And so I can just imagine as Paul was pacing the room there, he had his young companion Timothy with him. Paul was probably dictating the letter as Timothy wrote things down. I can just imagine that Paul was thinking about his long-term relationship with this church, the church at Philippi, and, and probably thinking about how it all got started 10 years earlier. You see, up to that point, the gospel of Christ was spreading, but it had not yet made its way into Europe. But you might recall that God had given Paul a vision of a Macedonian man standing over in Europe and calling out to Paul, saying, come over here, bring your message to us, we need to hear what you have to say. And so Paul took that as being from God, and so he and his companions sailed across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, which is just above modern-day Greece. And then he proceeded west nine miles by foot. Couldn't hop into your Subaru in those days. There was no such thing. So they traveled by foot to the inland city of Philippi, which was a thriving commercial city. And no doubt, as Paul was dictating this letter, he remembered his first day there in Philippi. He remembered heading down to the riverbank and finding that group of ladies there praying. He remembered sharing the gospel of Jesus with them and says the Lord opened the heart of one particular woman there named Lydia. And she got saved and several others did as well. And Paul would have recalled Lydia's hospitality to he and his team. She invited them over to her house, stay in her home, he and Silas and perhaps some others. Then he no doubt thought about the ruckus that he stirred up shortly thereafter when he cast a demon out of a young girl who was being used, used by some greedy men for profit, and they weren't happy about the fact that the, their hopes for profit were gone. They became enraged, and they ended up hauling Paul and Silas before the authorities and got them thrown into prison, another one of Paul's imprisonments. And yet, they're in prison despite being beaten, despite being thrown in prison, despite having his limbs all stretched out and locked down in some stocks. Paul and Silas were so full of joy at the privilege of suffering for Jesus that at midnight they broke out in a praise service. They started singing to the Lord. As Paul thought about that, he probably chuckled as he thought about God sending an earthquake to shake things up at that very moment. The prison doors coming off their hinges, the stocks flying open. And I'm sure he smiled as he recalled leading the jailer, the Philippian jailer, to the Lord, and then the jailer's family, and then he ended up baptizing all of that family. What a joyful thing that must have been. And then I know his heart was full as he thought about those first worship gatherings of those brand new believers gathering in Lydia's home for worship and prayer and learning the truth of God's word, praying for their neighbors to know Christ. What joy those memories must have brought to Paul. And then to see that little church in the upcoming weeks and months grow and get stronger and raise up spiritual leaders, elders and deacons, all that must have been cause for even more rejoicing. And then after Paul left Philippi and moved on to other cities, he was thrilled to find gifts and financial support coming his way from that same church as they poured out their love for him in a very practical way. 
All of those memories, I imagine, flooded Paul's mind as he began to dictate this letter to Timothy. And it opens like this, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's going to become a key phrase in this letter as we study it together. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, like he was at that moment, or defending and confirming the gospel, as he was always doing in his ministry, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? (laughs) What I think we're reading here are the words of a man who is experiencing the joy of God springing up in his heart like a fountain despite his circumstances. And the particular faucet that God has turned on to get the joy flow going is this gospel partnership with the Philippian believers. And what I want us to understand this morning is that there is great joy in partnering up with other kindred spirits to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great joy in that, in gospel teamwork. You know, when I think about teaming up for the gospel, I think about all the ministry partners of this church, what some churches call members. All 800 and, what does it say on the back side of your worship folder there? This is something we do count. 800 and what? 884? All of you who are ministry partners of this church banded together, covenanted together in the gospel here at New Life Church. That's what I think about. Like Paul, I can think back 10 years and know that many of you have been members here, ministry partners here, for that long. In fact, just for fun, let's find out the longevity this morning of everybody in the room, okay? So I wonder, is there anyone here who first got connected to New Life back in the 80s? Would you raise your hands? A lot of you, yeah. Praise God for you. Love you guys. Thank you so much for being connected for so long. How about the 90s? How many of you came to New Life in the 90s? Can I see your hands? All right, a lot of folks from the 90s. How about the 2000s through 2009? Okay, and then how many in the last four years or so? Can I see your hands? So we've got representation from all of those those decades, don't we? I thank God for all of you. You bring great joy to my heart and to our hearts as as a team here when we Think about your partnership in the gospel for all of these years. I also think about the teams that partner up and minister the gospel every week here through the ministries of this church. And one way to think about New Life Church is actually just a collection of 
teams who serve Christ together. Our largest ministry teams here are probably our children's ministry and our worship arts ministry team. I'm curious, how many of you serve in some capacity in children's ministry or Awana clubs here at New Life Church? Okay, look at that. I think there's about 200 people who serve in our children's ministries, and we praise God for you. How about worship arts? Would you raise your hands? I serve in some capacity of worship arts ministries. Okay. Many, many of you, and we praise God for you. There are are many teams here at New Life. Our student ministry team has grown and expanded this year, and we're excited about that. There are dozens of ministry teams at New Life. And I trust that being partnered up with some other folks to serve Jesus is bringing great joy to your hearts. I think about our missions teams that we pray for and send out. What what a great experience that is to link up with others and then go cross-culturally to spread the gospel and to encourage our gospel partners. I think of all of our small groups, nearly 80 small groups. Each of them also function as a little ministry team banding together to do love works to bless other people in his name. I think about those of you who team up and take the gospel into our community, like our neighborhood Bible clubs and our women's summer studies and other groups like that that have a burden to bring the gospel to our neighbors. You know, I've been talking about this. There's a new team that's going to be forming this year, a team of new lifers who feel called by God to partner up together with Pastor Claude and serve the community of Whitehall through a new New Life campus that we're planning to open up in that community. And the Lord is already beginning to call people and to to put that team together. And my heart is full as I envision some of you saying yes to the Lord and becoming a part of that effort. There's great joy awaiting you as you team up for the gospel. What I'm saying is this. I think what Paul is saying is there's great joy in, in partnering up with dedicated teammates for the sake of Jesus Christ. I hope you won't miss out in your life on that joy. Paul's partnership with the Philippian church certainly brought him much gladness. And when I look closer at how he opens this letter, I see several ways that partnerships can fill up our hearts with joy. If you haven't done this yet, you can pull the study outline out of your worship folder. The first, think about this, the joy of pleasant memories. The joy of pleasant memories. Memories. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. The joy of pleasant memories. Let me ask you something. Do you think that when Paul was there with the people of that brand new church, that everything was always wonderful and glorious all the time? (laughs) Do you think there were never any problems? He writes in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Do you think that that means that every person in that church was always a blessing to Paul? Was there not a single crotchety person in the whole bunch? Unless that was the one and only perfect church that ever existed, I have to believe there was at least a few unpleasant people hanging around and a few unpleasant things that happened while he was there. So is Paul being dishonest here? I don't think so. See, I think this is how joy works. Jesus' joy has this effect on our hearts. It magnifies the good in others and minimizes the bad. Paul could write, When I think about you, my heart is full of joy because the joy of God simply overwhelmed any negative memories. 
It's not that there weren't any bad experiences, it's just that they didn't matter that much to Paul. Maybe they were even forgotten, buried under an avalanche of joy. The fact that some Christians live their lives all focused on the bad experiences of their lives and the negative things that have happened to them is simply, in my mind, evidence that they've not yet yielded full control of their hearts to the Holy Spirit. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes from Him. But for those folks, instead of minimizing the bad stuff that happened years ago, what they do is they keep bringing it all back up and rehearsing it over and over and over in their minds. If you want a prescription for turning yourself into a bitter, old, crotchety, old fart someday, this is the prescription for it, okay? Just hold on to all that stuff. Just keep nursing it along, right? Just keep holding on to those grudges. I mean, no one wants to be around a person like that. Do you know anybody who throughout their life has ended up alienating everybody because they're just so negative all the time? Well, why not yield to the joy of Jesus? I mean, he died for other people's sins too, right? Not just yours. Let Jesus be that person's judge, that person who hurt you or abused you or stole something from you. Jesus will be their judge. He will most certainly do what is right. But I would want to say to you, bitterness is also a sin, isn't it? And so both you and they need Jesus to save you. You know, I believe it's possible to become so consumed with Jesus that offenses that have been committed against you fade into the distant corners of your memory, and you actually end up having a hard time recalling them. That's, that's a joyous way to live. That's a joyous way to live. So that's one avenue of joy, pleasant memories of others. And the second one is prayer. Intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. Paul wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with what? With joy. So added to Paul's joy of having pleasant memories of these folks was the joy of praying for them, these folks who had become so dear to him. What Paul was saying is that every time he thought about the people of that church, he was moved to pray for them, to, to bring them before the Lord. And then praying for them filled his heart up with even more and more joy. By the way, that's what partners in the gospel do. They pray for one another. In verse 19, we're going to see that Paul knew that not only that he was praying for them, but that they were praying for him. In a few minutes, we'll see exactly what Paul prayed for, but here he's just saying that he found great joy in lifting these people up to the Lord. And when he prayed for them, he probably saw each of their faces in his mind, remembered their names, said, oh God, I, I thank you for Lydia and her family. What a joy she is to my heart. What a blessing she is. I, can you just imagine Paul praying for each of these people whom he loved? I think this is a good place to remind all of us in this church to be praying for our own partners in the gospel, like we did earlier in our service. Especially those who are around the world serving Christ. Through the years, the Lord has seen fit to team us up with a number of individuals and ministries that share our mission. And now, of late, we've been able to send people to some of these places. I think about our partners in Costa Rica, our brothers and sisters there, 
You know that Chris Travis is there. You saw the slides of him earlier. And Tim Weinkoop now is there. And Amy Tullis is there. And David. And we love our partners in Costa Rica. We love sending folks there. We love it when some of them are able to come here and be with us. We're deeply vested in that ministry, aren't we? They are our gospel partners. We send a couple teams a year there. I think about another gospel partnership in Makono, over in Uganda, in Africa. I've been there. What a, what a partnership that is. Pastor Davis and Betty and their family. And now there's a, there's a church there, and there's a school, and there's a little medical facility, and there's a bakery, and there's all this, there's like this compound now, and the people of the village come every day there, and it's, it's an incredible ministry. We need to remember to pray for them, our primary partnership. So now we've because we've sent um, Dan and Beth to Lyon, France, we, we now view that as another, a third primary gospel partnership of this church with Keith and Karen Moulton there ministering to the North African immigrants who, have, who live in southern France now, ministering, carving a ministry out of the rock, really. We want to remember to pray for these folks, don't we? Sometimes out of sight, out of mind can beat us, and we don't want to let that happen. You know, one of the best ways to strengthen a partnership, any partnership, really, is through prayer. Praying often for your partners, if possible, praying with your partners. Something special about praying together for God to use you in the lives of other people. Think about your marriage. Those of you who are married, that's really your primary partnership in life, isn't it? Your spouse. Let me ask, do you, do you ever pray together? Do you pray for your spouse? Do you, do you pray with your spouse? We were out at dinner with a couple last night, and we were talking about this, and the husband said, you know what? My wife and I have started praying together before we go to bed every night. It's helped our relationship so much. Any partnership is going to be strengthened through prayer. Think about your family, your children. Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray with your children, your small group, your ministry team? Do you pray for one another? Even when you're not together, do you remember them? Do you recall them to your mind and lift them up to the Lord in prayer? As we think about partnering together to take the gospel to Whitehall, we need to be praying for that partnership, for all the people who will go. Joy is increased in prayer, for sure. A third cause for Paul's rejoicing in his partnership with the Philippians is their financial participation. That's number three, the joy of financial participation. He wrote, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is the Greek word koinonia. You've heard that word before, koinonia. Sometimes it's translated fellowship, but Partnership is the, a better term, and there is a financial connotation in this. When I got to asking myself how this partnership between Paul and this church manifested itself, it became evident through the rest, reading the rest of the letter that an important part of it was financial support. How did the Philippians partner with Paul? Listen to what he would write in chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me, Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Now I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So we see this, right? The gospel partnership, which brought Paul so much joy, included financial support in the form of gifts delivered to Paul again and again and again when he was in need. And now writing this letter of thanks for their most recent gift, it brings Paul great joy to think that Christ had so captured the hearts of these people that they even put their hard-earned income at Christ's disposal for his mission. I also love how Paul views their giving. Do you see that? Not just support for himself, but as treasure being laid up in heaven and as a sacrifice offered up to God. And that's how our giving is viewed by the Lord. I keep saying that uh, studying this letter is timely for us here at New Life, and, and this is one reason I believe that. Not only have we covenanted together as a church body to support our gospel partners in other parts of the world, and not only do our regular financial gifts support the ongoing ministry here at New Life, but now that we sense the Lord leading us to minister to the gospel in Whitehall, our financial partnership together is as critical as it's ever been. The elders of this church have a deep desire that we go about this new venture in such a way that the ministry here in Gehanna remains financially strong and healthy while simultaneously funding the startup of a new campus in Whitehall. Towards that end, every January, we ask all the people who call New Life their church home to review their giving and their plans for giving to God's work in the upcoming year and to ask God to lead us into deeper faith in this area. Now, I know we have some guests here this morning and some visitors and people who are new to New Life, and I want you to know if that's you, if you're new here, we, we don't want your money. <laughs> that's not what we're all about. If you want to give, that's great, but, but please don't feel an obligation to do so. I'm talking primarily to our ministry partners here, our members here who have covenanted together, those who consider New Life their church home. I want you to know that I'm feeling led to increase our family's giving to New Life in 2014. And I informed my wife of that last night in the service. I probably should have talked with her prior, <laughs> prior to that. It's a good thing to talk with your spouse about those things before you go public. Um, but the reason is I believe deeply in what we're doing here. Like really deeply, like down in the core of my being, I believe in what, what we're doing here, what God is doing here through New Life Church. Our elders would challenge all of us to consider what our part is in teaming up together financially to spread the gospel. I think there's a joy that's reserved for those who are deeply invested in gospel work. There's also a joy in being on the receiving end, right? <laughs> Paul was full of joy at having been on the receiving end of financial gifts. I'm wondering this, when we think about our church, how many of you, in your connection with New Life Church, have come to know Jesus here 
or come to know Jesus better through your connection with New Life Church? Can I see your hands? You've come to know Christ or come to know him better. I would raise my hand in that, yeah. And how many of you have more joy as a result of that? See, isn't that a good thing to be on the receiving end of this, of financial partnership? I think about my family, who for 24 years now has been on the receiving end of the financial support of this church, of, of you giving your regular gifts, not just my family, but all of us who are on staff. And we want you to know we are grateful for your partnership in the gospel all of these years. And it brings us great joy to think about that. Paul's letter was filled with the joy of Christ that flowed to him through this gospel partnership. There was joy in having pleasant memories of these people, joy in praying for them, joy in receiving financial support, and forth, the joy of having a confident assurance of where they stood with God. One of the favorite verses of many, many people, verse 6, he writes this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't it a wonderful gift from God to have a confident assurance in your heart about the true spiritual condition of a loved one? Isn't that a great joy? Especially you think about your parents or your grandparents who might be getting up in years. Isn't it a wonderful gift to know that you know that you know that you know that they're saved? that they know Christ, that they're on their way to eternity in heaven. Well, Paul here is saying that because of his long-standing partnership with the Philippians, he had that kind of confidence about them. He who began a good work in you. What is that good work? I'm convinced it's the good work of salvation. <laughs> and he's saying, you know what? I'm confident that the God who started his work of salvation in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day you're looking Jesus Christ in the face. God is going to finish what he started in you. And, and really what he's saying is, I believe that you're saved. I have that assurance in my heart that you really do belong to Christ. And salvation is a work of God, right? He who began a good work in you is going to carried on to completion. Salvation is a work of God. The Bible says this over and over again. Mankind cannot save himself. Mankind cannot make himself acceptable to a holy God. No amount of good intentions or trying harder or turning over a new leaf or cutting out bad habits will ever bring humans the righteousness that God requires. Only by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? his atoning, sacrificial work on the cross, and then coming out of the grave three days later. Only by trusting in that will anyone ever be declared righteous. That's the message we want to take to Costa Rica and Makono and Gehanna and Columbus and France and Whitehall. That's the good news of the gospel, that God himself has done for humanity what humanity could not do for themselves. Atone for our sins and make us holy enough to be, be with him forever. Only God could do that. And he did it through the death and resurrection of his son. That's the message. You know, really what Paul is doing here is he's teaching some theology. He's talking about the permanence of eternal salvation, that the person in whom God has begun this saving work will certainly make it all the way home. Aren't you glad that getting 
into heaven is not up to you? I mean, frankly, if it was up to you, some of you wouldn't make it. (laughs) But Paul is saying, look, I'm not Philippians. My trust and hope is not in your faithfulness to God. It's in his faithful promise to you. He will certainly get you all the way there. Isn't that what he's saying? It's a beautiful thing. The assurance of eternal salvation. The God who saves is also the God who keeps us saved. Keeps us believing his gospel until the very end, until we're looking into the eyes of Jesus. Well, you know, in reading this letter, you can see how Paul feels about this church and about these people. He's grateful for them. He prays for them. He appreciates their partnership. He believes they're truly saved people. And then he gives us a glimpse into his heart as he expresses the joy of his heartfelt affection for them. This is kind of interesting to me. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. But whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. That strikes a deep chord in me for several reasons. It's it's just so raw. If you had a copy of Paul's original letter that he actually wrote, or if you have a copy of the earliest King James version of the Bible, you would see that the word translated affection is actually the Greek word for the soft internal organs. In fact, the old King James says the bowels. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I have that, that, that ache and that yearning and that longing for you that comes from like right here. <laughs> I ache for you. I want to be with you. I want to express my love to you, and I want to know that you love me in return. It's just not that often that you hear a leader of of this stature reveal so much of his heart and be so vulnerable. Probably because it can get used against you, right? For sure, not everybody appreciated Paul's transparency. Some people in other churches even sought to capitalize on that and degrade him but there it is he says, I love you guys I ache for you I want to be with you and I want to know that you love me but I want to say this that kind of transparency that kind of vulnerability usually strengthens a partnership now we might think the opposite is true and a lot of people think well if I get open with people if I get transparent if I get vulnerable then people are going to think less of me but that's not true is it not generally Generally, we hold in high regard those leaders in particular who are vulnerable and who share their hearts. And these people loved Paul for it. I think something we can learn from this is that great partnerships don't just happen. They've got to be cultivated and nurtured. That's what Paul's doing here. Great partnerships, even in your marriage, It's not going to just happen. It's like a plant that's got to be watered and the weeds got to be pulled and it's got to be nurtured and fertilized and given sunlight for it to grow. A partnership is like that, is it not? Any partnership is. It's got to be nurtured. If, If you neglect it, if you don't tend to it, it's going to wither and it's going to die. And I think what we see Paul doing here is he's expressing his heart to people who had partnered with him 
And in so doing, he's nurturing that partnership and strengthening it so that it would bear even more fruit to the glory of God. The final thing we see is Paul basically elaborating a bit on something he said earlier that he prays for them with great joy and basically he actually shares with them what he's praying for them. You ever do that with a person? Hey, I'm praying for you and here's what I'm praying. That's what he does here. I don't know about you, I love the prayers that are actually recorded in the Bible because they train me, they equip me in how to pray biblically. Like me, I'm sure you want to pray prayers that are in alignment with God's will. And prayers like this one give us insight into how to pray that way. Here it is. This is my prayer, he writes in verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We don't have time to dive into this prayer. I'm sure I could preach four sermons on that prayer alone. But what I want us to note is simply this this morning. Paul is giving us a way to pray for our partners in the gospel. He says, Philippians, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for five things. And I want you to know that everybody you're partnered up with in any way, whether it's your spouse or your children or your teammates on a ministry team or in a small group, they need all five of these things from God. And you can confidently pray for these things. What are they? Number one, God, give them an overflowing love for other people. Everybody needs that, right? Give them an overflowing love for other people. Two, give them insight so that they love the right things. Third, give them discernment, God, to make the best decisions, to choose that which is excellent, not just which is okay or decent or good, but the excellent things. And then give them strength to be pure and blameless. Those things used to be values in our culture, but they're not anymore, are they? Purity. And then, Lord, give them fruitful lives that glorify Jesus Christ. When I think about those five things, when I think about the opposite of them, when I think about what can happen when these things are not present in somebody's life, it can read like a list of the top things that disqualify people from ministry. Lack of love. Embracing the wrong ideas. No discernment. Leading to poor decisions. Sexual impurity and other behavior that invites accusation, and ambition that's not God-glorifying, but self-glorifying, wanting to make a name for myself. So Paul prayed for his partners, prayed for them. You think our prayers make a difference? You think that God is big enough to actually factor our prayers into his working in other people's lives? You think God takes our prayers and factors them into setting up hedges and protection around other people, spiritual protection, keep our teammates strong and pure in ministry? Would Paul have even prayed these things or told the Philippians he was praying them if it really didn't matter if they got prayed or not? Would the Holy Spirit have included these specific prayers in your New Testament if it didn't really impact anything if you never prayed them? I don't think so. I think they're in there for a reason. I think praying matters, don't you? I think praying affects lives, strengthens partners, produces fruit. 
I can't understand or explain how God factors that all in. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery, the mystery of prayer. But I pray these things for my partners, and I hope you do as well. Well, what a great opening to this letter. There's lots and lots of joy here. You know what? The joy of being in a thriving gospel partnership was not just reserved for Paul. You can experience that too. You can. And I hope that you will. In your marriage, in your family, in your small group, in your ministry team, there's nothing quite like teaming up together for the sake of the gospel. There's nothing really quite like it. Well, I want to finish by making a request of you. As we've thought more and more about this Whitehall venture that we believe God is calling us to, we realize that we're going to need the intercessors of this church. Those of you who see yourselves as prayer warriors involved in this, uh, maybe more than we had thought. And so I want to ask you, if you're that, that person who considers praying like what you do, like, why am I here on the planet? I'm here to pray. My mom is, is one of those kinds of people, an intercessor. If you would be willing to be included in a monthly prayer gathering that would focus on God using New Life Church to, to do love works, and specifically in Whitehall, um, if you would take your little white card and just write prayer warrior on the back of your card somewhere, prayer warrior. I know it's not all of you, it's a, a percentage of you. But I felt burdened that we need to gather our intercessors together once a month and pray for New Life Whitehall. We don't want to do anything that doesn't have God's fingerprints all over it, right? And so that's going to be part of that. Well, let me, in terms of responding to the word this morning, um, our prayer partners are going to come in a few moments and we're going to sing some worship songs together. And Maybe you're not yet partnered up with Christ. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You know, I talked about being sure that you're saved and on your way to heaven. You're thinking, that's not me, but I want to be. I would encourage you to come to one of our prayer partners and just say, I, I need to know more about how to be accepted by God and what Jesus has done for me, and they'll guide you in that way. Maybe the Lord would talk to you about becoming a ministry partner here at this church, getting in the game with the rest of us for the sake of the gospel. Well, for you, that's what's involved there is taking that first step of coming to our new life class, which is tonight at 5 o'clock right here. That's the first step. Well, maybe God is talking to you about being part of the Whitehall campus. If that's the case, would you let me know or let Pastor Claude know or Pastor Brian know that maybe you're just praying about it, you feel a pull, and you're looking for God's direction in that, okay? Let somebody know we want to join you in prayer with regard to that. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. As we worship now in response, as we come and receive prayer from prayer partners, Lord, as we consider so many ways, Lord, that your spirit might be taking the word this morning and applying it to each individual life. May we have the kind of hearts that just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, there are some folks here who, when I talked about becoming crotchety old people who've alienated everybody in their lives, Lord, they, you talk to them about that. And I pray that you'd bring about repentance. They could let those hurts and offenses go because of Christ. Lord, keep transforming and changing us into the image of Jesus. 
Help us respond now with full hearts. Pray in Christ's name.